Blog Talk Radio. Just not dying anytime soon. Hello, this is your old pal Wheezy, your mandated reporter, and frankly, I'm mortified, Mr. Mark Rattledge. And this is TV Party Tonight. Oh, yeah. Sex and drugs and rock and roll. We're going to do it all, baby, all night long. All right, let me, let me calm the fuck down. Uh, we are talking about Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll Season 1, the uh, FX 22-minute comedy television series created by starring written produced acted upon everything probably stolen from bill hicks by dennis leary yes the asshole himself another allegedly stolen bit from uh bill hicks but that's neither here nor there dennis leary this is one of his brain children uh this time he's not riding around on a fire truck he's playing a uh down on his luck singer from a broken up band called the heathens and we'll get into a little bit more about what this show is all about but i can't talk about sex and drugs and rock and roll without bringing on the punchy pugilist the man with a voice like an angel (laughs) he's with his baby tonight but he's talking to me right now ladies and gentlemen straight from the 80s Mr. Pat Mullen, how do you do, sir? Well, the laryngitis finally cleared up so I can actually do the show for the most part. Though I don't think I've got a tune in me tonight, so we're going to have to rely on Mr. Leary and Elizabeth Gillies to help us out. But you know what's funny? We're talking sex and drugs and rock and roll, and honestly, the high point of my night was I went out and I got a Yoo-Hoo. <laughs> uh, we, we, we live interesting lives. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's all right, Pat. You know, it, you got a little bit of sexy voice going on. You know what sexy voice is? Sexy voice is when you got the laryngitis, uh, and, and you're, you're a little you're a little bit hoarse. Not so hoarse that you sound like, you know, you're, you're gonna, you, you just can't get the, the words out. But that little like bit B. Arthur. Of rasp, yeah, that's it. See, when you when you have that little bit of a rasp in your throat, that little bit of a tickle, that's when you get the sexy voice that all the girls love. I get it. You probably got it now. It's not the worst thing in the world. You know what I mean? You know what I'm saying? I'm sure I do. You know, I guess it's close to like morning voice or whatever, but I'm going to go with the fact that I probably sound a little bit like B. Arthur. <laughs> Is that, who's that making me from the Golden Girls? Does that make me Rose? Or maybe. Uh, You're a little uh, bit of a whore, so you would be Blanche. I am a little bit of a whore. Yeah, that, ain't that the truth? My goodness. I am all over Facebook with this podcast. Anywho's. All right, let's get into this. Uh, so, this was a show that I believe debuted in 2015. And 
for those of you that don't know, now you might be thinking if you've been following my podcast for a while, here's a man that only watches shows about hashtag black folks. And given the times that I've said the best, <laughs> the best shows, the best show on earth is The Wire and you know and The Shield and you know you might think I only watch like violent police shows, you know, or shows about criminals, or whatever. But no, I like my superhero shows, and and I bet you didn't know I dig on shows about rock and roll. Now I don't watch Empire because that's about hip hop, and who gives a fuck. But um, I, I do like a, a good show like Vinyl that ran one season on HBO uh, and uh, other shows that feature the, the rock and roll music industry. I enjoy that stuff. Um, it, go, it plays right in with, my, with one of my other uh, passions, which is heavy metal music, you know, music in general. So when this show debuted, it's one that I really wanted to watch. Um, I just, whatever the reasons were, I couldn't, uh, I couldn't find myself sitting down to do so. So uh, when we started doing these podcasts, I thought, okay, this is an opportunity for me to go back and watch some shows I, I, I missed when they were on. And as it turns out, Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll had actually cleaned up in September of 2016 with its second season and then was canceled by FX. Uh, so here it is. We are in 2017. And I finally got around to watching season one. And when I mentioned I wanted to watch this, out come the wolves. Pat Mullen said, I got to get in on this action. So what? Uh, real quick, what, what about this show made you want to stand up and talk about it? Um, I grew up a pretty big fan of Dennis Leary for the most part. Yeah, I, I know, as surprising as that sounds. Um, <laughs> really, before even I heard his stand-up comedy, he did a movie that is near and dear to my heart that I love and watch every Christmas called The Ref. And uh, that movie and his performance really solidified me as a fan of his. I tend to like his, his movie roles a lot, even if it's not a great movie. I think he's fantastic in Suicide Kings. If you've never seen it, look it up. It's great. Um, he and, and even in his lesser efforts, he still finds ways to crack me up and make the characters enjoyable. So I thought this was a pretty interesting uh, role for him as a washed-up rock star who is bigger in his mind than he thought he was. And I, I always tend to like to give his projects a try. So I was one of the six people who watched this show while it was actually on. <laughs> Go on, finish. And I, I, I it was an interesting hook because it was an interesting hook because uh, I also happened to have – one day, randomly, when just sitting on my couch not working, saw a teenage show from Nickelodeon called Victorious. And I thought, this is an interesting show, mainly because there's a lot of hot young 20-somethings on it, and that's all I really cared about. And uh, there was one on there, you know, who was probably like my, my B-level favorite from that show, who played the stereotypical, I dress in dark clothes and I have an attitude. But there was some kind of X factor to her I liked, and it was Elizabeth Gillies. And then I saw she was doing a show with Dennis Leary, and I was immediately intrigued. And I said, well, this is interesting. I'm going to watch it. I, uh, I was a real big fan of – let me go back. I was a huge fan of Oz. And a friend of mine was like, well, if you like Oz, you'll love The Shield. It's a little less rapey because it's on FX, not HBO. But still, if you can, if you can settle that – if you can satisfy that need to watch men raped on television, this is, this was an actual conversation that was had with me by one of my friends. Um, you might just like the shield. 
And, you know, for the most part, he was right. I loved the shield. And when it went off, and I famously have told this story before, uh, the night that it went, uh, the se- of the season finale, series finale, actually, uh, Melissa had just moved into my apartment uh, shortly before this. And she would learn a lot about me on this night because she's dead asleep. <laughs> and I go running into the bedroom. I'm like, you got to get up. I got to talk to you about this. As soon as the Shield series finale had ended, and she married me anyway, folks. I say that a lot on these podcasts. Anywho's, um, but uh, around the time the Shield was ending, Dennis Leary had an hour-long um, dramedy called "Rescue Me," which was about uh, firefighters after 9/11. And I, I stayed with that show for a good long while. And I think towards the okay, last me- couple of seasons, I gave up on it. Let me let me ask you. Did you give up on it because the character he played, Tommy Gavin, you just cannot root for him anymore because he's such a perennial fuck-up? Yeah. It, it became okay, painful me too. to watch the show. Yeah, I, yeah. As much as I love Callie, Callie, uh, Callie Thornton, I believe her name is, who's one hot tamale. Thorn. Uh, Callie Thorne. Um, yeah, she's amazing. Uh, but I, I just – the show became too ridiculous for me, and I, I think it was around the time that the sun dies. Spoilers. And it was shortly after that that I was like, this has gotten, this has now jumped the shark for me, and I can't take it anymore. So I gave up watching the show the last couple of seasons, and then I got pneumonia uh, this, <laughs> this past January. And so I had a lot of time to watch TV, and I figured, you know what, I never knew how this ended. So I just watched the last season of, uh, of Rescue Me, and I, you know, that's when I started seeing commercials on um, Hulu for the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. And I'm like, all right, let me give this a try. And so sex, drugs, and rock and roll, as, as said before, is about Johnny Rock, played by Dennis Leary. Um, he was in a band called The Heathens uh, with, uh, with his co-star, John Corbett. Um, they released an album in the 90s that uh, like inspired a generation, but on the same day that the album drops, the band breaks up because uh, Dennis Leary's sleeping with John Corbett's wife. Um, 25 years later, his daughter finds him, Dennis Leary, and she's played by Elizabeth Gillies. Her character's name is Gigi. Uh, she finds him in New York City and basically says, I've got money. I want to be a rock star. I need you to coach me and get your band back together that I will take your place in. And uh, we'll, we'll talk in a minute about how that goes. But that's the, the basic premise of the show is the relationship between um, – Dennis Leary and John Corbett, Dennis Leary and his daughter, Elizabeth Gillies. Um, and secondary to these relationships is it's about the modern age of rock in, you know, in a world that has been overwhelmed by hip hop and pop. Um, it, it's a fun show. It's, I'm kind of sad it only lasted two seasons, but Hey, that's one more season than vinyl. <clears throat> so, we're going to do something a little bit different tonight. A little different, as Jello Biafra would say. Uh, typically, on the Metal Hammer of Doom, we play a track, or part of a track, talk about it, play part of a track, talk about it, rinse, repeat. Um, the music's so good. It's so much better than it has any right to be on this show. And Elizabeth Gillies is my new heartthrob. And, and not because she has a nice set of boobs and she's got a you know, very nice-looking face. This girl really does have the voice of an angel. She is an amazing singer. And I could not talk 
about a show about music without at least playing some of the music. So we've got five of what I think are the best tracks here, or the most defining tracks of season one. And I'm gonna get I'm gonna get right into this right now. We're gonna play the title track, and then we're gonna jump right into episode one. As a matter of fact, I'm gonna hit play, stop it, and Pat's just gonna jump in with his thoughts uh, about the season opener, the pilot for sex and the drugs and the rock and roll days. show so pat what did you think of the very first episode here of sex and drugs and rock and roll it's a little busy because they have to establish so much in such a short amount of time you have to establish the relationship or lack thereof between johnny and Gigi. as you know this estranged father daughter who one didn't know the other existed and the other knew of the other existing but not knowing of her existence you have to try to establish Johnny's relationship to his career or lack thereof at this point and understand that at one point in time, yes, he was a big deal, but that burned out very quickly. And I, I think uh, <laughs> they, they, the only jobs he'd been offered at this point are uh, Brian Adams cover band and a, a Bon Jovi cover band. And then you have to introduce flash his former bandmate and songwriting partner and the relationship between them and how fast it deteriorated there's a lot to take in and i think they give you enough to interest you to watch episode two 
But the real high point is, of course, the end of the episode where you finally get to hear Gigi sing, and they sing Animal. And it's probably my favorite song from the show, first or second season. Um, So I I think it's a show that kind of starts very fast and has a lot going on, meanders a bit in the middle in the pilot, but the end is what really hooks you because of the music. Yeah, I um, I was very fuzzy on this, and I wasn't sure if I was going to be able to stay with it. I have to say, you know, I very rarely will change a scheduled podcast once I've committed to it, to the point where I'll like I'll agonize over wanting to cancel or change something, um, because I'm like, for example, tomorrow night we're we're doing uh, Iron Reagan instead of the new uh, Six Feet Under. And I literally agonized over this decision, but the new six feet under bored the living fuck out of me. And I was like, I don't want to talk about this anymore. (laughs) I want to do something else. Um, And so the the link here is I got through this first part. I was watching this episode. I'm like, Jesus, the whole thing is going to be like this. I don't know if I can make it through it. I guess I'm going to force myself to because I've committed to doing a podcast on it. But this is, this is not great. And then there's a, there's a switch and it comes about the time that they introduce GG post the bar. So just a, a real quick synopsis. It opens with like a documentary, like a, where are they now? Um, oh God. What was the name of the VH one series that was big on that? Behind the music. Behind the Right. Behind the music. So it has kind of like a behind the music thing going on where it, it gives a lot of exposition um, and background history about the band and about the characters and his, and it was funny to watch it because it was, you know, Dennis Larry hitting people with microphones and falling down and it was pretty hilarious, but it quickly for me got boring. You know, like I don't, without the Gigi character, the Dennis, the, the Dennis Larry character isn't really relatable or someone you want to root for. Jesus Christ, we just talked about that. <laughs> Rescue me. I'm seeing a pattern. Um, and then no one around him was, was that interesting either. And then he, he hits on this girl at the bar, and she beats the shit out of him, and it turns out it's his daughter. Um, and then I was afraid that the daughter was going to be mealy-mouthed, and like the whole arc of, the, of her character was going to be sort of coming out of the shell and finding her voice. And I'm like, I, I don't have the patience for this. And then she sang Animal. Changed the entire episode for me. Um, Because instantly it made the Johnny character, played by Dennis Leary, a bit more relatable. You know, he goes into that whole scene, and it's like, yeah, she's probably got no talent, so we'll, we'll, we'll we'll humor her, and then we'll go do our own thing, and it'll be fine. And you spent so much of this episode with him in this hugely inflated ego. And then his bubble is completely bursted. And it was like, okay, he's been humanized a bit. This isn't going to be 10 episodes of, I mean, to, to a degree it's there, obviously that that's one of the hooks of the show, but he's not unbearable once he realizes I have been eclipsed by this girl that I met five minutes ago. They also made uh, Gigi a very strong character. Um, with, 
with some flashes of vulnerability, thank God. But I really like the fact that she was like, I don't need your money. I'm rich, you know, and she very often in this series takes command of things, which I really liked. Um, so I, I, the episode is a bit uneven for me, but it finishes strong enough that I'm like, okay, I'm now committed to this. This is, this got so good in the last few minutes of the episode that I was like, okay, I'm with it now. And then as we get into episode two, episode two, I thought was hilarious, especially the way that it ends, but I don't want to get it too far ahead of ourselves. Um, anything else about episode one? Um, you know, the episode and the show itself, which we'll get into a little more though, are kind of a microcosm for what people think of Dennis Leary at this point in time, a guy who, had a really successful run, a lot of potential. And I think in some ways this is an intro to a semi-autobiographical part of his life where he finally had a comeback with Rescue Me that took off and lasted for a while and was successful. And I think that's what they were eventually building towards the Johnny character with his involvement with Gigi. Um, Ultimately, obviously, it's going to be a different result than Rescue Me was for Dennis, but we'll get there. Okay. Um, now, like I said, I picked five songs, and I and I didn't want to play them too close together, but it just happens to be that you know two very important songs were in the same episode, so I, I do want to play the songs related to the conversation. So here is, quite frankly, some of the best music I've heard in quite some time. And you're talking to a guy who listens to like four or five new albums a week. This is Elizabeth Gillies as Gigi singing The Heathen's Animal. If I didn't want you But, I mean, 
you know, we're, we're talking about somebody who's playing a character who's like, I don't know how to be famous, and that's the object here. I've got the tools, I've got the talent. What I don't have is a plan, and I don't, and, you know, and I don't know how the industry works. And then you see her perform, and, and you know, granted, this is a this is an experienced actress playing a part, but she is, she just comes through the screen. She she really is a a talented actress, and I, I can't say enough without getting creepy, <laughs> good, enough good things about that whole interaction. And again, Dennis Leary holds up his end of the bargain. Because like I said, if he, if he doesn't sell it, you know, he doesn't have the air just, if he doesn't really portray someone who's getting the air knocked out of him, then the whole thing just sort of falls apart. And he does. He absolutely does. Yeah. Uh, you know, the whole part of it is, they really want to make Johnny a really seedy, scummy character because part of it is Gigi is offering to back everything financially if he just helps her and brings her along. And his plan at that point is, well, I'll take the kid for the ride that she's worth and she probably doesn't have anything. And when she absolutely blows everybody away with her vocals, her stage presence, then all of a sudden he goes, oh, I actually got myself into something. So he's both flabbergasted at her talent, jealous very clearly and bitter about it, and then coming to the realization that I have something, but I'm going to have to work at it. Yep. It's funny to watch him go from like almost like con artist uh, to uh, someone with integrity and earnest as much as he can be in that moment very, very quickly. It's pretty hilarious. All right, let's talk about episode two. Dose. Clean rockin' daddy. And they and they got this bit out of the way very early on in the series. They've established that uh ye old Johnny Rock um he he's a drug addict. <laughs> and his whole and, and, and drug sex and drugs and rock and roll <laughs> or rather the sex and drugs part, uh alcohol pretty much ruined his opportunity at stardom uh, and ruined every band he was ever in. And so a part of this is Gigi saying to him, look, clean up. I'd like to have you alive as people who do what you do tend to burn out early, but also I don't want you to fuck this up for me. I need you to make clear headed decisions and not be a raging douchebag. So he has to quit everything cold Turkey And what he's trying to tell everybody is, hey, I've got kind of a mental block that only seems to be unlocked when I'm high. And everyone says, you're full of shit. So like 90% of the 20 minutes, 22 minutes of this episode is him struggling to write a song. And I think one of the funniest exchanges is him in rehab, who's the bass player, who has a slew of mental health problems. (laughs) <laughs> and he's trying to among get a to, prescription get, pill addiction. Yeah, he's trying to get rehab to give him like prescription pills, and there's just there's like these are to help me from stop hearing the voices. These are to help me from stop killing people. These are to help me from stop killing you. <laughs> and and I don't know if it's because of my background professionally or just the way the line was delivered, but I found that especially hilarious. The look he gives them and that line together 
needed to stop me from killing you. I thought it was ridiculously funny. Um, but it, it all, it, it's basically a long setup to one joke, which is, and I'm not going to play it tonight. I'm going to play the, the song that was sung by Gillies. But the joke here is that he finally does write a song. And the song is so bad. It's uh, Sinner's Gold is the name of it. And the song is so bad and so maudlin that they all go, fuck it, let's just get him drugs. <laughs> and, as and long as it's not cocaine. Clean. Right, right. That was the one thing he was foreboding. Uh, but all the weed and all the alcohol he can stomach so that he can open up and write. And he absolutely winks at the camera because he's manipulated everybody. I, uh, I had a good time with that one. What did you think? Yeah, a lot of fun. They're They're really – they're trying to establish Johnny as not somebody you're going to like for who he is. It's more a case of that cheeky bastard. And that's the perfect example of what it was. Um, Definitely the exchange with rehab. And we'll talk about rehab and bam, bam, because I really do think they might be in terms of the comedic part of the show or what's supposed to be the comedic part. They're usually the high point of episodes for me. Um, Other than if Liz gets to really kick, kick out a song, but I love those two guys. Um, and when a lot of this stuff on the show falls flat, I think they actually are charming enough to make it work. So that that was our first real introduction to either of them in a significant way. And I think Rehab was just perfect. Yeah, as the far guy as playing the, Rehab, the, who, who looks like yeah, he's I was gonna say, as far as the guy, by I, the way. which they also make reference to in the show. Um, I think I think it's during the episode where they get the record contract and they tell Rehab, you look like you could be Frank Zappa's grandfather. <laughs> right. <laughs> and boy, does he ever. My goodness. Yeah, um, I was going to say, I don't yeah, really so, I don't really remember seeing him in anything but this, but he nails it. He really does. The guy playing Bam. Bam actually provide my, the biggest laugh out loud moment of the entire season. And it's from episode seven, but let's not get ahead of ourselves. You probably know what I'm talking about. Um, I'm pretty sure right, I do. So the other thing that happens in this is they write Die Trying. And um, on the soundtrack, which I found on Spotify, there are two versions of Die Trying. There's the one sung by Dennis Leary, and then there's the version sung by Elizabeth Gillies. And, hey, um, Mark, which is better? Yeah. <laughs> Everyone take a drink. Uh, the Elizabeth Gillies version. What, you know what's funny about the music in this? And, and, I, and I haven't been able to find notes on who wrote what. Um, I have to, I'm going to have to dig a little bit more before we ever get around to season two. But, you know, for, for, for a song, for, for a show about, quote, unquote, rock and roll and, and uh, you know, 90s, uh, yeah, 90s rock, there's a lot of really bluesy stuff in this. And this song that we're going to hear now, and then we're going to take a little break from the music, this Die Trying has got the bluesiest hook I've heard in a really long time in terms of, like, you know, modern rock and roll, which shouldn't surprise people since, you know, the white man done stole rock and roll from the blacks, uh, you know, who came up with the blues. But, I mean... I have to say the people who put the music together for this show really do know their stuff. And I, I thoroughly enjoyed this. 
So let, let's give it a quick spin here, and uh, we'll close out our thoughts on episode two, because there ain't much more to say about it than that. Because here be die trying. Nobody leaves here without singing the blues. Well, that's that's another podcast or another day when we salute the works of Chris Columbus, particularly my favorite. <laughs> I swear to God, after I hear that, that's all I can think about is Elizabeth Shue singing the babysitting blues and a blues man telling uh, telling the patrons, nobody leaves here without singing the blues. Seems like it, like, like it should follow that song every time I hear it. I mean that you know that we got. I mean I know we're talking a lot about the music of the show, but it's a really honest to God nice alternative to have a show about musicians who play music, and they make a lot of jokes and references towards the music that's really popular now as far as electronic dance music and auto tune, you know R and B and stuff like that, which basically goes against the nature of everything you or I like, and um, so I think that part of the audience that did watch the show, it really just appealed to us because they were playing really good songs with actual instruments and voices. Yeah. I'll tell you, like I, this whole, this whole past week, once I uh, was able to find the soundtrack, you know, normally I'll, I'll spend a lot of the week listening to podcasts, hashtag Bruce Pritchard. Um, and uh, you know, and I'll, or I'll listen to albums that we're going to review on the metal hammer of doom. And I can't get off this this soundtrack. Like this is all I listen to. I, I think at one point we were having some family time on the couch, no TV, and you know my, my daughter will listen to just about anything that's that's or watch anything that's got a female lead. And I was like, Lily, you got to hear this. You got to hear the singer. And I played a couple of songs uh, that she sang. Uh, Lily was non plused by it. She uh, she didn't get it. But uh, I I have been really stuck on it, and and there are times when the show is very strong. There are times when the music eclipses the show. Uh, I think that's what you're you're getting a, a lot of right now. Is very early on there was a lot of focus on the music, and then they backed off of it for a little while and focused on uh, more of the dynamic among the characters. Um, all right, so this next episode. Lust for Life. Uh, 
Gigi and Johnny try to write a song together. Now they're sitting at the piano and, you know, he, Johnny's trying to get her to just, you know, be extemporaneous, just riff. And she asks Johnny if he loves her. And this, this, this is a setup for that's going to get paid off later on in the season. I think toward right, right, right towards the end. But there's, there's a fear of commitment on both sides. Gigi has a fear that Johnny won't commit to her. Um, and Johnny just has a general fear of commitment in general. A general fear of commitment in general. There's, there's no need to be redundant. So, <laughs> or, repeat, or repeat yourself. In any case, you know, one of the strengths of the show is the bonding and the give and take between Gigi and Johnny. Without that, there's no show. And you get to see a lot of that in in this episode, I think. Um, the other thing that this happens episode, here is... Go ahead. I was going to say, during the father-daughter exchange, this episode has my favorite verbal exchange in the show. Um, and I think I've told you about it. It's uh, Gigi and Johnny are sitting down and talking, and Gigi says, you know, don't you know about Jonah and the whale? And Johnny replies, the, the movie about Jeff Bridges or, or Jeff Daniels is the asshole dad in Brooklyn? <laughs> and for those of you that don't get it There's a movie called The Squid and the Whale That is set in my old Brooklyn Park Slope stomping grounds Of the 1980s And uh, yeah he really does play an asshole dad In a terrible depiction of that neighborhood So I hate that fucking movie too So anytime you want to bag on it It gets over with me really big <laughs> but, You know Gigi's a good character and, you know, she is somebody that you want to see succeed. She doesn't have a tremendous amount of fault to her. Um, and, and, and the faults that she does have, I think, go along with the trappings of her age and what she's trying to accomplish. So she isn't the typical, like, nobody on Rescue Me was fucking sympathetic. Uh, but, you know, they, made, they did a good job of not making her a bag of shit in this show, which was nice. A nice change of pace for a Dennis Leary jam. But uh, she, she does say something here, which made me sort of raise an eyebrow. And it was one of those rare moments where I'm looking at the Dennis Leary character, and I'm like, I can actually see your point. Um, she asked Dennis Leary if he loves her. And, like, they've known each other for five minutes. And, look, like, I love my kids, but I was there at their birth, and I've been with them every step of the way. You know, I love them more than life itself. If I found out 20 years from now that I had a kid I never knew about, would I love them? I think on some level, sure. Why wouldn't I? But the way that I love my kids that I saw birthed and everything else, I don't know if I could say that. And I think that's what he's struggling with. Other than his own defects of personality, I don't think it's, Ill it's illegitimate to say it's complicated straight from the show. You know, he says to her, no. like, I, I love you. Go ahead. I, I was going to say no. And, you know, let, let's take it the, the other way. And let's say, had he gone ahead and said, yeah, I love you. What are the odds? She turns on him and goes, she says, you know, well, you're just saying that you've known me for how long and you can already say that. Like, why are you just trying to tell me what I want to hear? Because she's a right. woman and that's generally what happens. <laughs> Very true. Um, but, yeah, you didn't know where she was going with that. 
and okay, she's being genuine and she's sort of hurt, you know, got hurt feelings now. But, you know, I, I say again, and again, I, I thought you were, I thought I messed something up, but you were, you were agreeing with me, you know, to say that you, you, you love somebody, unless you're just throwing the words around haphazardly, words have weight, words have meaning. And I, and I think he's in earnest trying to do right by this person despite himself. And he doesn't want to uh, bullshit her. And so I say again, he's struggling with, you know, I want a relationship with you. I want to, I, I want things to build and I want you to be successful and I want this to all work out. But we just met. We are just now starting to have a relationship. So, you know, how do I know I really do love you on any other level than the most basic I recognize that I'm your father. And she unfairly gets upset with him, which again, you know, could be a, a trappings of youth kind of a thing, an immaturity thing, could be her feelings, should be, you should unconditionally love me the moment you meet me. Um, I think it's a lot to ask of somebody. So, you know, one of the few moments of the series where I was not sympathetic to Gigi, but on a craft level, I thought it was well acted by, by both players. Very, I thought it was very well done. Um, the other yeah, thing that it's, it's in right the, in Leary's oh, wheelhouse. I was going to say, that, that type of situation is pretty much what Dennis Leary's best at. Yeah, um, being emotionally handicapped. <laughs> uh, the other thing that happens in this episode is there's a character um, that uh, the um, uh, manager, oh gosh, the uh, agent, Dennis Leary, who's now going to agent Gigi and <clears throat> the whole band, and he basically, and you don't, and you don't find this out till the end of the episode, he puts out there that Johnny's dead, and Johnny stays dead for a couple of days, and they use it as an opportunity to get some cheap heat, uh, some popularity, and this is also where they make the transition to the heathens, to the assassins, um, you know, the, the former being the band that Dennis Leary led the latter being the band that Gigi's going to lead. And again, that's just, that's just set up for more stuff that happens in the season. Um, Sort of a necessary plot point, but you know, one that's kind of also kind of silly. I I thought it was fine. (laughs) You know, I think it's something that needed to happen, needed to happen early on so that you had a passing, an official passing of the torch, but that's really all it was. You want to add anything to that? Um, No, I just, um, Ira as a character is pretty much necessary for the relationships and dynamics that you're going to have with a band of characters, literally in this sense. And uh, the guy who plays him, I think his name is Josh Pays. He's he's fine in the role. We have a we have a guest appearance by Joan Jett, which is fun because uh, there's a whole bit about uh, <laughs> <laughs> Dennis Leary slept with her. As it turns out, that's all he did was sleep. <laughs> but we have. Yet another song, uh, one that, if I'm not singing I Don't Want to Die Anonymous, I'm singing this song lately. I sing it around the jail. I sing it to my kids. I sing it to my wife. This is four out of the five songs. So, yes, after this, we are taking a long break from the music. This is New York 2015.
I was really surprised by this song. You know, again, you hear them talk about like they were the heathens and they were these instrumental, influential band of the 90s. You know, they, they inspired that whole decade of music. And I hear this and I hear like a Tori Amos kind of a vibe. Um, you know, I hear this more like this female singer songwriter thing going on, not this edgy rock and roll, you know, spit in your face, you know, defining a generation type of thing. And by all means, I am not complaining, but it, it was an interesting choice in the narrative to go in that direction, um, create a song like that, make it the, you know, make it the piece of music that this father and daughter came up with and then have her perform it later uh, in the episode. I just, you know, interesting choices in terms of some of the things they're saying about the band and then the kind of music you hear them perform. So, I don't know. Um, it, I, I think it works. It's just surprising. Yeah, I think I think they use these, you know, the, they have the story and set up, but they don't want to play music that's going to gauge a very small percentage of what turned out to be a very small audience. They wanted to play songs that would wrote most people with the narrative of the story they were trying to tell. And that's, and this is a, probably the best example of them doing it in the series. All right. So let's move on to episode four. And as I said, we're, we're not going to play any more music until we get to <laughs> uh, episode 10. Um, so we got a little bit here. So this is what you like is in the limo. And this is a fun episode because it comes out of the death hoax. Um, that uh, the heathens now a massive surge uh, in popularity, especially in Belgium, home of the waffles. And so they book a gig that Johnny's actually going to sing in. It's the Johnny Rock Resurrection Tour, and there's a lot of stuff going on here. This is a very relationship-heavy episode because you have uh, – one of the things that's developed over the course of the last three episodes is Gigi's deciding she's going to date – the uh, Flash character played by uh, John Corbett, which is kind of a nanny nanny foo foo between good, between Flash and Johnny, seeing as the thing that broke the band up was Johnny sleeping with Flash's wife, and it's established she's a bit of a whore, <laughs> you know? um, and that you know Flash is sort of blaming Johnny for the deficits of character in his wife. But, you know, that that comes out over a series of episodes. In any case, he's now taking great pleasure in dating Gigi as a get back at Johnny for the hurt feelings and, and stuff. Um, he's also trying to manipulate Gigi into cutting Johnny out of the whole operation. Um, Johnny, th- this is one of those episodes where, you know, if you go back to the to the pilot, you know, Gigi says, I don't know how to be a rock star. That's your job. You need to kind of rock star coach me. And this is where you start to see that element of Johnny come out as, and this is one of my favorite scenes of the season. Um, They're talking about the writer with that. I don't know how much of that was improvised, but it's fucking hilarious (laughs) because everything is coming up with the weirdest thing they can think of or the most outrageous or, and 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 this next thing I'm going to say, you can either you either like it or you don't. Uh, but it's a big 
presence in the se- in the series, and that is rock and roll talk. There's a lot of that in this, you know, where, where they just talk about what other bands do and did, and there's a lot of riffing on the industry. So in a, in a lot of ways, this is a parody of uh, the real life rock and roll, both history and the present day industry. And that's fine. If you like that sort of thing, which I do, I found these conversations pretty amusing and entertaining. Uh, but if it's not your thing and you're just sort of watching for the drama of it all, I could see where it would lose people. Uh, so this was one of those where if you got it, it's funny. If you don't get it, it's like, what are we watching here? But the whole writer scene is hilarious. That's the thing. To me, it was really risky because you're, you're basically at that point banking on a smart audience. And I don't mean smart in the fact that, you know, we're brilliant and we, we can understand things you can't. It's audience who are smart to a particular aspect of something. So for guys like me and you, we can laugh all day at it because we understand the machinations behind it. But if someone is, you know, I'll compare it to something where I would be lost. If someone is making, you know, Dungeons and Dragons inside references, I would not think it's funny in the least. Right. Or references to the TV show Friends, which I don't get because I hated the show and never watched it. So I would be completely in the dark and look like an idiot and not get it. So it's, it's pretty uh, risky you, writing to do that. I was going to add an example. Um, I took my kids to go see the Lego Batman movie. And the first five minutes of the movie is a giant inside joke for people who are longtime Batman fans. I'm in fucking tears watching this thing because I'm a longtime Batman fan and I got all the inside jokes. Uh, my kids have no clue what was happening. And my wife was like, I don't get it. What, like, I get what's happening in the narrative. I have no idea what any of what I just saw meant. <laughs> so, you know, it's kind of what we're talking about here. Yeah, and that's pretty much the same scenario that they're going to play out to an audience here, which, again, is, is very risky, and I, I give them a lot of credit for taking that chance. Um, I think it didn't pay off, but I think a lot of things in the show ultimately, unfortunately, didn't pay off, and this is the least of those things that they should have worried about. Um, I, I enjoyed it. You enjoyed it. I would be willing to venture that most of the people who were regular viewers enjoyed it too. Yeah. Um, some fun things that they talk about. You know, they all want, like, pets backstage. And, you know, and it, it really does – it's a long setup to Gigi shaming them out of their excess rock star characters, which, of course, the punchline is Johnny saying, she's absolutely right, everybody, and then goes, I want the biggest owl you can find. <laughs> um, but there's a, there's also a bit where they're feeding Johnny drugs and he's like smoking blue weed and uh, they've given him prescription pills and he's all bruised up. So of course, as has happened previously, he walks out on stage, starts singing, has a hallucination and fucks up the gig. But this time around, he is saved by his daughter who comes out and sings the song we just heard. I'm not going to play it again. Uh, Die trying. And, and saves the entire gig. Of course, this, this leads to Gigi saying, we are now the assassins. The heathens are dead. I am leading this thing. And, you know, we are, we are team Gigi. Uh, and we're not yeah, kicking anybody which, out. You know, go ahead. Which, I was going to say, which circumvents, you know, 
at this point, Flash and Ira, who are really fed up with dealing with Johnny again in the first place, who were really trying to push Gigi into having this be the Johnny Rock farewell forever tour. And instead, she asserts herself as the potential meal ticket for everybody and says, yeah, he's not gone. No one's gone. This is Team Gigi now, and I'm calling the shots. Yep. Um, again, it's a real, tr- it's a real tribute to her strength as a character, and it's a saving grace of the show. Because if you had to wait forever for her to develop a backbone, I don't know if I could have stood it. Um, the next episode, Doctor Doctor, give me the news. I got a bad case of loving you. No, it's just called Doctor Doctor. And if you've seen Metallica's Some Kind of Monster, who doggy is (laughs) is this episode funny on an insider level? If you've never seen Some Kind of Monster and you don't know, basically this whole episode is a parody of what went on with Metallica, which I I don't know if that was intentional or not. Metallica is a parody of what went on with Metallica. Stop it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> well, that's a that's a podcast for another day, sir. Um, but basically, just as an aside, uh, after Jason Newstead left the band, the the three remaining members, um, Kurt Hammett, uh, James Hadfield, and Lars Ulrich, uh, in in the run up to their release of one of the worst albums I've ever heard, Saint Anger which we reviewed on the Metal Hammer of Doom. You can check that out in the archives right here on the Rattle Legion Broadcasting Network. Um, yeah, Robert Cooper and I fucking tore that album apart, famously. Uh, but in, in the run-up to releasing St. Anger, there were huge problems in the wake of Jason Newstead leaving the band, and they went to go see a counselor, and this is all documented in the, in the movie Some Kind of Monster, which is a track from St. Anger, and over the course of their treatment, they, the, the therapist like insinuates himself into the band to the point where they got to like excommunicate the guy from their treatment. Um, there's good things that happen in some kind of monster. There's some really uncomfortable stuff. And Dr. Doctor plays on a lot of that. Um, again, I don't know if the, how much of the writer's how much of the writing was inspired by some kind of monster and how much of it was just sort of a general theme that you hear from bands that work with uh, sports and band therapists. But I don't know. I I've seen stuff like this before in television shows where a group of people are dealing, you know, our family is dealing with a therapist and everyone's horrible. And the therapy sessions are uncomfortably funny. Um, and at the end of it, the, therapist says i can't help any of you and runs from the room screaming i was a man once um and then then that experience you know it's a very much a married with children kind of a thing they all hate each other but they hate the outsider more and that's what makes them love each love each other and i don't know if you remember how how much of married children you remember pat but that was definitely a whoa bundy yeah i uh i remember this one bit and i don't remember what the setup to it is but, you know, Al is singing the cow kick Nelly in the belly in the barn, and, like, someone yells at him, and so the whole family starts singing it. Uh, it makes me laugh. That's the whole episode. <laughs> you know, it's a lot of jokes, which really ends with 
uh, Ava, who we haven't really talked about yet, but is is a pretty essential character to the show. She's Johnny's longtime girlfriend, and he sort of becomes a surrogate mother to Gigi. Um, And sometimes she's the voice of reason in all this nonsense. And she is in this episode. It's probably one of her strongest episodes. Because at the end of it, she's like, I want to play a ukulele in the band. And because they're all trying to be more inclusive, um, be better listeners, they actually entertain this idea until she finally freaks out and says, what the fuck is wrong with you people? Bands are a dictatorship. <laughs> How the hell did you almost let me play a ukulele in this, in this thing? Um, and of well, course, and, that's and the that's, end of the <clears throat> Yeah, And I was going to say, and that's the funny part, because for as much as this is poking fun at uh, some kind of monster – the name of the Metallica documentary. It's really basically an elaborate one note setup for what we right. saw in the previous episode where Gigi really becomes the focal point and asserts herself. Now she's got Ava asserting herself in a very uh, motherly way behind her. And that's the slow yeah. relationship we've seen build between the two of them. There's bonding over girl stuff here and there and making fun of Johnny and stuff like that. But they've grown closer with each passing episode, and this is really where the line is like firmly mother-daughter relationship bonded. They have each other's back no matter what. Yeah, it's established in this one, which, you know, it's uh, – all right, if you're playing the Rattle of and Broadcasting home drinking game, get ready, grab your glass, because here it goes. Because it's kind of like a wrestling match um, <laughs> where they've, they've hinted at it. They've, they've set this up. And in the next part, in the next episode, they're going to take it home. You know, they, uh, they established their relationship. They solidified it with this episode. And now they're going to test it in the next episode when Callie Thorne the ever so beautiful and talented Callie Thorne, who there's a scene when she's where she's buck ass naked and having sex with uh, McNulty and the Wire, which just watch it on a loop if you you know if you're feeling lonely on on, you know, on a hot summer's eve, it's fantastic. Um, yeah, Cal- Callie Thorne is is amazing even when she's not boobaliciously naked. Um, hell of an actress. She plays the she plays Gigi's biological mother and you know the woman who raised her, uh, and she shows up in the next episode, and you know if you liked her as, as her character in Rescue Me, you're gonna love her in this show, boy howdy. Um, but yeah, she really does put that relationship to the test, and you know and she's stirring the pot and she's messing with people, you know most notably she's messing with Flash and she's, you know. Uh, we would use the term cock block, but they use another term because they're chicks. Um, and she's, you know, she's basically trying to peel Flash off of uh, Gigi. And I, I could have added this to the roster of songs we were going to play tonight, but uh, I just, you know, I didn't want to, and I, I think Pat more than anything else did not want to uh, do a mini episode of the Metal Hammer of Doom, so we, we skipped it. But the song that her and Flash perform together in this episode, Tattoo You, is phenomenal. I didn't realize she was such a good singer. She, she's, she's amazing. Um, 
before I get into the tattoo part of this episode, uh, what were your thoughts on Callie Thorne's participation and what she adds to the Flash Ava GG relationships? This is a Dennis Leary pattern where somebody he's worked with in the past that he likes is now brought back into his next project. And so it's no surprise he would choose to bring back Callie, who he spent quite a lot of time with on the set of Rescue Me and various positions and roles and what have you. Um, and that's putting it mildly, folks. Um, <laughs> she, But her dynamic thwarting is necessary because we've just spent the past few episodes establishing bonds in a, a good way between each of the members of the group even Johnny and Flash to a point, because we've, we were at, when we started the show, they would not even acknowledge each other, let alone talk. Now they're working together, songwriting together. Everything is snowballing in a positive direction, so you have to have something to disrupt it. And the choice of Gigi's actual biological mother, who has so many ties to the people of this group, obviously being a parent to Gigi, being a former you know lover of not just Johnny, but flashes as we find out, based on a tattoo that is discovered by Gigi after she gets, well, apparently gets one of her own. And it snowballs from there into finding out there are all these kind of incestuous layers to this family and to this band. Yes. <laughs> yes, there is. It, in a, in a, in a very, very sort of abstract way, it kind of reminds me of a um, Lewis Black joke about Bill Clinton, where I, I can't remember, it might have been Lewis Black, it might have been a different comedian, but he was talking about how, like, how horny of a guy Bill Clinton was, and um, he just sort of grabbed the first woman that was within arm's length of him. It happened to be Monica Lewinsky, and it might be all, and I, and I guess I'm thinking of a very similar joke that was definitely by uh, What's-His-Face from the Opie and Anthony show, um, Jim Norton, where he was talking about Schwarzenegger, where he's just like, you know, this guy, you know, he got, I guess, caught sleeping with the maid or whatever. And, you know, it was like, oh, he, he, there's a guy who just needed someone to physically dominate him. <laughs> Jim Norton started showing all these impressions. But, um, yeah, it, it, the reason why it reminded me of those two jokes is just this idea of, them jumping around in in and out of beds of those immediately around them as if they're on an island separated from the rest of humanity. I mean, they're in the biggest city, one of the biggest cities on earth, New York city. There's nothing but people around. And yet they, they, they tend to just sort of deal with each other. Um, You know, again, just grabbing out for the most, for the nearest human uh, to you. So, Again, I said it was abstract, I, and I meant it when I said it. Uh, the tattoo stuff I thought was interesting. This this plays on the theme, once again, of commitment. Um, and again, Gigi keeps manipulating Johnny into – and as I say it out loud, it, it, I think it really is revealing about her character how unsure and uh, suspect she is, maybe even paranoid that the bottom's going to fall out and Johnny's going to leave her flat. Johnny will, you know, Johnny will betray her at some point. So she keeps laying out all these traps for him, um, you know, making sure he is committed to her and, and won't betray her. And the, the tattoo is a 
piece of that. It's it's thematic. It's a symbol of commitment. You know, he doesn't want to get a tattoo, but to show her that he is committed to her, he ends up doing it. And then, of course, she realizes that she didn't get one of him because she doesn't trust him yet. <laughs> this is this is going to keep happening <laughs> over and over again. Uh, any last words about Tattoo You? Kind of just, <clears throat> um, you know, Flash hasn't been really seen as somebody who is necessarily wrong in what he does. Although the whole I'm going to bang your daughter thing, it's not explicitly stated that it's out of revenge. And you do get the feeling he genuinely would sleep with her, whether she was Johnny's daughter or not. But in this episode, he gets a Gigi tattoo, or so it would appear, when in reality you find out it was a cover-up job done to cover up a tattoo of Gaga, who he was Gaga over and she was not. <laughs> and yeah, at that, that point, you start to think, that. well, Flash is much is as much of a prick as Johnny is, so they deserve each other. Yep. So we take a break from a lot of the running themes of this episode, and uh, we do a fun thing here. We meet another character in episode seven, which is supercalifragilisticfrickin'Julie uh, Andrews. No, Julie frickin' Andrews. Try that one more time. Take two. Bam. Supercalifragilisticjulie frickin' Andrews. There we go. Episode seven, where we meet Elizabeth, who is Johnny's mother, uh, Kelly Bishop. And her backstory is that she would have won the lead role in Mary Poppins as the titular Mary Poppins had she not been pregnant with Johnny, in which case she lost the role to, of course, the lovely Julie Andrews. <clears throat> and uh, she's, getting, she's getting remarried, uh, and uh, the, her betrothed is a gay producer of her upcoming off-Broadway musical named Jeremy. Oh, and she also um, she also fakes cancer. Yes. <laughs> yeah, this, again, a show full of real uh, winners and people you can, you I can could, cheer for. <laughs> I would think that was more despicable if my dad didn't fake having ALS at one point. Oh, that sounds like a fun story. I mean, it's it's... <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. Long story short, my dad did a lot of wacky there, things because <laughs> because when you are an alcoholic and a drug addict for most of your life, and you come from a screwed up home, besides that, that did a psychological number on you, you're gonna have wacky moments. One of the ones was during a time when my mom had kicked him out of the house at a certain point in time, which happened frequently because he was being a nut. He claimed that she should take him back because he didn't know how much time he had left because he has Lou Gehrig's disease. <laughs> God, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I, I mean, like I, I like they, they go on. We'll do a pod. We can do a podcast one day of just Pat's dad stories. There's a lot of them, <laughs> but basically whenever this happens, I feel like I start talking like Dr. Evil and I'm like, he would accuse chestnuts of being lazy. <laughs> okay. And like it seems up. absurd to anybody who hasn't been through it, but the the fact that these things are real. Oh, prostate cancer was the other one. He convinced himself he had prostate cancer. But could not Yikes. say the word prostate and always said prostrate. <laughs> prostate cancer. Good. 
and and could not also could not comprehend what bleeding internally was. So he would say <laughs> bleeding eternally, <laughs> as in like the stigmata, where you just bleed forever. <laughs> and I was the bad guy for correcting him on both of those accounts. All right, we're gonna we're gonna back away from this slowly and move on here. Um, if there's so enough demand, man. let us know on Twitter, and I'll tell more of these stories. Uh, sure. I on an open Thursday when we're not doing it when we're not doing uh, on trial. If you want to hear more of Pat's stories, you let us know. Uh, you can check me out at, at Mark Rattledge. Um on the Twitter machine. All right, so the the assassins play her wedding by request, uh, which is in a seventies themed. Gig. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and and one of the better um, one of the better things of the show is when Jeremy the uh fiance of Johnny's mother comes up and looks at them, "Oh my gosh, these period costumes are great. And look at these wigs. Look at his. It's fantastic pointing at Johnny's hair." And Johnny goes, "No, this is my actual hair. It's not a wig." He goes, "Wow, and you had it done like that just for this?" And Johnny explains, "No, I didn't have it done like that just for this. This is my hair." <laughs> I have to say, when I first saw pictures of uh, of Dennis Leary and uh, you know and the the cast, you thought it was without knowing. I was going to say you thought it was Jane Lynch. (laughs) Not quite. More along the lines of I thought the show took place in the seventies. I mean, I mean, they make (laughs) they make jokes about like he's got Bowie hair, and I I didn't realize when they were like. Yeah, th- this band, you know, was from the '90s, and I'm just like, who the fuck in the '90s had that kind of hair? That I mean, late '80s, sure, but once the bottom fell out of the hair metal scene, and, and we we well, we went into and try not to choke when I say this, we went full on into the Seattle sound, you know, the Nirvana, the Soundgarden, the Alice in Chains years. <laughs> Easy, Google it. That hairstyle went right out. You you know so. When I when I saw pictures of him and I was like, what era is this supposed to take place in? Um, all right, so so the big thing here is uh, Elizabeth tries to upstage them. They 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 play a song. It works out well. There's a lot of there's some degree of relationship building uh, between Gigi and uh, Johnny by virtue of the fact that uh, Gigi Elizabeth is standing is up awful. to Elizabeth. Yeah. And you know she's calling her out on it and stuff. And um, honestly, the best part of this episode is Bam Bam and the secret ribs. Bam and the secret ribs. <laughs> Bam Bam. No, no, wait. The, Bam and the secret bad. ribs and bad. rehab and the old lady. Well, rehab and the old lady, I didn't care so much about. But the interaction between Bam and the gay chef that ends with a with a handful of secret ribs and a handful of cock. Oh, hot damn! I this was easily the biggest laugh out loud moment of the entire season for me especially when when the punchline was if you because you know of course rehab does in fact walk in on them after having banged the old lady and they just sort of look at each other with disgust and shame and everything else and say if you don't tell i won't (laughs) but i i i had a good laugh at that just (laughs) you i've got secret ribs in the back come on (laughs) I don't know. And this is after he had. This is this is after Bam had admitted to going to the Big Bear Barbecue, which is a gay barbecue 
for gay men and admitted that he once gave a back rub for extra food <laughs> where they accused him of doing gay stuff for food. He said, no, I gave a back rub once. And this is how we end the episode with him giving a little more than a back rub for some secret ribs. <laughs> and I think this is the episode probably where whoever was directing and producing the show to a point, Dennis Lear was like, rehab and bam are really funny and we need to highlight them a little more. Yeah, we need to give them something to do. Yeah, you, and you see a lot of character come out. You know, you know, rehab is more than just a crazy drug addict. And it works because the next couple of episodes where him and Bam start to do the EDM thing, you, you can't have any of that unless you start to give these guys some character. So um, we, we see the beginnings of that with, with that little bit there. All right, so the next episode takes us into our final uh, three episode arc that ends the season uh, beginning with hot out here for a pimp uh. um, and, and basically there's a conversation that takes place between Johnny and Ira that goes something like if you if you act like you tell your kid something I was gonna, yeah go ahead no go ahead go ahead it's basically he teaches Johnny the lesson of parenting reverse psychology where the more you object to something the more your kid is going to do it the more you say that you like or, or the more you say that you like something your kid will be completely turned off from it hence why she loves flash so much at the moment which johnny hates so johnny encourages some kid in what's called a normcore band which i didn't really get <laughs> um and god i am aware of a lot of sub 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 genres of metal but this one <laughs> this, this this one confused me. In any case, um, he basically like manipulates this kid into going after Gigi, and it works because they're acting like he's against it um, until she realizes. And I, I was it this episode or the next one when she realizes, "Hey, wait a sec, I've been had," <laughs> because she has a sudden realization that she's basically dating a guy that's just like her father. And then I think the, it's the same think episode. No, this is okay. And then the jig is up because because they admit out loud that um, Johnny purposely set, set the whole thing up. up. Right, and of course she then storms off into her room, and that's the end of that, and we never see him again. The other thing that comes but out what of this leads is, to, yes, and we're going to my favorite part of the episode. Go ahead. This is the or this is the origin of Beast Core, mm-hmm. where <laughs> Rehab and Bam are really upset about how they're being paid less than everybody else. Because to be fair, they're only studio musicians at this point. Really, they're not doing any songwriting, and they're not the lead guns on the tracks. So they look for a way to do something else. They see this normcore movement and realize that it's taking advantage of people being stupid. So they come up with. Beast core by making tracks with animal noises, and when trying to decide on things, they said they come up with names like two dolphins clicking at each other. Change <laughs> that makes me laugh riotously every time I hear it. And so they get into the EDM scene by doing tracks with animal sounds over them, and become a huge hit. Where after their second song at their first gig, they get a standing ovation from the crowd. 
Yeah, it's definitely poking fun at sort of the nonsense of the music industry. This 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 really does play at sort of the hipster, you know, cooler than Jesus mentality that seeps its way into the music scene, where stuff that stop that just stops sounding like music becomes the hit because it's antithetical to actual music. <laughs> you know? Um. I giggled at it. I, I, some of it's actually kind of fun to listen to, on a on a, you know, on on a parody level. Um, but the whole idea behind it and some of the stuff that's said, I I thought was pretty funny. I don't have a whole lot to add to the, this and that. I want to get on to take my picture by the pool because this was one of my favorite episodes of the whole uh, of the whole season. I uh, I thoroughly enjoyed the guy that plays the producer in this episode. So anything else on uh, Hard Out Here for a Pimp? No, just uh, I think this is the point where they realize this whole show can't just revolve around Gigi and Johnny. And we've had these two guys who are actually really funny. We're going to really elaborate on them and let them be what we do to make fun of everybody else. All right. So we are at the uh, the last. As they say in the show biz, the last episode before the season finale, must-see TV here. Take my picture by the pool. And here it is. After five minutes of being with this band, <laughs> Gigi is offered a contract by Sony Records. And, of course, with all things, uh, th- there must be chains. There must be conditions. And the conditions are lose the fat kid and Frank Zappa. They got to go which, of course, you know, is a setup for something later on down the line. Uh, they want to make Gigi more of a pop sensation and not so much of a rock uh, rock star. Uh, Flash and Johnny are going to continue to write her music. Basically, she's going to be a solo gig, and Johnny has to look like and Johnny has to look less like himself and more like somebody in this current era of, uh, of our time, which is a very And he looks like Dennis Leary... No, and he looks like Dennis Leary in the TV show The Job. I, I well, the joke is he looks like Bon Jovi, uh, John Bon Jovi, which I can see they have a similar head shape. Um, but I think that one of my favorite bits is you know is uh, them talking about Bon Jovi sex, which is essentially Ava being turned on by by Johnny because Johnny looks like Bon Jovi, <laughs> which I think is hilarious. Um, but this all. The, the biggest part of this is they bring in this very famous producer who has the best line of the entire episode. He was like, if you want the riches, you got to bring the bitches, which he says in earnest. <laughs> like he isn't trying to be cool about it. He's like pleading with them. He's like, you know, he's like trying to explain himself, which is hilarious to me. Um, but, you know, they take this raw, amazing talent and they turn her into – Britney Spears, basically, and the whole thing. I was going to say Ariana Grande. Okay, I, I, I'm showing. Maybe I'm showing my age here. That was the first thing I thought of, but sure, Ariana Grande works too. Um, uh, because she's an amazingly talented singer, but every actual song she has is overproduced, auto tune. Look at my body, crap. Okay, so th- then you would be right. Ariana Grande would be what they were clearly going for, and I actually think. Uh, Elizabeth Gillies and Ariana Grande are supposed to be friends, if I'm to believe the... They are friends in real life. Yeah, they're quite good friends. 
Well, there you go. And that was, I'm sure that was purposeful in the writing then um, was to poke fun at this. But um, they, they take What's My Name and they turn it into a hip-hop version, which we will not be hearing tonight because who gives a shit? Um, but like I said, the, the whole, you know, Johnny is sort of, got the devil and angel thing going on in this episode where on the one hand uh, the devil is saying, Hey, they're paying us all this money. And, you know, as the guy and giving started, us $5,000 bottles of cognac, <laughs> yes, you know, and Russian caviar and all this other stuff, you know, and if you want to want the riches, you got to bring the bitches. And so again, do I sell out my daughter for the greater good or is the greater good to maintain your integrity? Where does the greater good lie? And he has a sort of internal conflict with himself, you know, because he wants the excess rock star lifestyle, but is that at a cost of selling out his daughter and his soul, his dirty, dirty soul that was saved with sex, drugs, and rock and roll. So um, he does, in fact, finally, you know, she, she doesn't want to do it, and he sees that, and then he sort of takes the ball and runs with it and clears the table and just ends the whole thing and they walk off, they, they walk out of the deal. Um, and of course they, then that's when they produce a you know, reveal set the whole thing that he does as an ax, his old gimmick, which I thought was even funnier. Um, the, that's where we are with this. The deal has been mothballed, but the band is broken up because Bam and rehab have gone on to become popular EDM DJs, which leads us to episode 10 our season finale because we're legion. Uh, Gigi breaks up with Flash and contacts the man who stole Johnny's vibe, Greg Dooley, (laughs) a producer whom Johnny hates. Uh, And Julie sends, Dooley rather, sends a man named JP uh, to help produce some songs uh, for Gigi so that she can get picked up by an independent label and really stay true to her rock and roll roots and her goals. And I was, I was actually telling my wife that this was one of my favorite non-comedic parts of the season. Um, I really loved what they did here because what comes out of this episode is that there was a meeting of uh, the sexual parts of Flash and Ava, unbeknownst to Johnny, that has been kept a dark, dark Which, secret I mean, for low these many years. He, he's got to be an idiot because everybody's banged everybody except for rehab and bam, so let's go on. <laughs> um, so it's a big, deep, dark secret, and it starts to come out in this episode uh, among some other things that are happening. And um, I'm just I'm gonna skip a bit of how we get here and get right to my favorite part of this whole thing, and that is the recording of Complicated, because we have this guy JP played by Rob Morrow, who has all this information about these people that he's using to manipulate them for the sole purpose of creating the best recording he can of Complicated. And it's, again, this raw, emotional, intense, uh, just bitter, sad song. I love it. It's so good. We're going to hear it in a few minutes, and it'll be the last song of the night. 
but um, he he goes up to each person in the band. I was telling my wife about this at dinner. I loved how this scene was handled because it's he's such a devil, you know. He whispers in everybody's ear, and I think like he says to Flash, he's like, "I think Gigi knows, or rather, he, Gigi knows about you and Ava." And he goes to Bam, and it's something about like he's like too fat to be in the band or some shit. Uh, what did he say? Yes, your weight's holding you back. He yeah. says to rehab, Johnny thinks you're the best bass player since um, I forget who he uses as an example, but basically telling him he's pretty much the best bass player ever. Mm-hmm. Then he says to Ava, you know, I think you know Gigi knows about you and Flash, and then he says to freaking Gigi, he's like, I think Ava and Flash slept together, and so Johnny has no clue any of this is happening, and he just sees a room full of angry musicians all looking at each other, just disappointed and sketch and angry. And Except for Rehab, who smiles at him. <laughs> right. And that's, the, that's the thing that unnerves him the most. Right. And so Johnny has no clue what's happening with any of this. But everyone is just, you know, heart on sleeve, producing this, again, incredibly raw song. And it's brilliant. I'm, I'm going to take a minute here and let you hear the brilliance. This is complicated, which plays off the earlier conversation that began with Do You Love Me?
I am a firm believer in the idea that whether it's music or movies or television, a painting, any art should make you feel something. Good art in any form should should produce a feeling in those that uh, view it, listen to it, whatever. And I think if it doesn't make you feel anything, it's not very good. And that's, that's an objective point of view. And every time I hear complicated, I'm not ashamed to admit it. Maybe you say, yeah, a little fegula, but I don't care. I, I tear up a little bit. It's a beautiful, amazing, sad song. And, can, and, and I'll tell you, if you watch the scene where they're recording it, and you look at especially Elizabeth Gillies' eyes as she performs that song, you know, and, they, and the camera work, uh, you know, captures, you know, squared up on everyone's face from Bam to Flash to Ava, and, and you have this anxiety, this anger, there's so much emotion captured on screen while this song is being sung. It really, it, it highlights the best of the show. And it really is an amazing scene. And, and, I, and I have a lot of joy in, even though it's, it's sad in a, in a lot of ways, there, there was a lot of joy in watching it for me because I really felt like everything that we had seen in the previous nine episodes had led up to that. And, you know, if you, if you follow the, each of these characters' stories, it was a great way to tie it all together, I thought, um, without going overboard or overly dramatic. I thought it was pitch perfect. And separately from the scene, it's a song that I could listen to on a loop and not get tired of. Yeah, they really they really needed to drive home the point of there are some really screwed up relationships within these people. And no matter how much you have repaired them superficially, there's going to be lingering things that happen, especially with new revelations that came out to these people like Ava and flash. And that just drives that wedge right back in where it was to whatever the previous issue may have been, whether it was Flash and uh, Cat or, uh, you know, Johnny and Joan Jet or what have you. And you get to this point and you're like, oh, here we go again. Where do they go from here? And that song really brings out the feeling you have watching these characters go through these things. And again, uh, a lot of credit, not just to the songwriters and to Liz Gillies, who really should be such a bigger star than she is right now. Um, but the facial expressions and the body language of the actors in the scene that this plays over is really, really powerful. And that's, you know, something you don't necessarily expect from a show like this, but it delivers really, really strongly. Yeah, I don't know why she hasn't been in more. And I don't know what she's working on now. I'm just quickly looking at a Wikipedia page. But like, she was the, the last movie she was in was something called Vacation in 2015. Um, that was the National Lampoon's Vacation movie. Oh God, okay. Um, and she yeah, has like a she, did... she has a blink and you miss it part in that. <laughs> um, the last thing she did on TV was basically this show, and she has a 
voice role in the Penguins of Madagascar in an episode called The Penguin Who Loved Me. Um, she's got some, you know, music videos from last year and the year before that and some theater from a couple of years ago, but that's it. Um, I, I, I don't know what yeah, her agent is doing. I don't doing, know if she, she just needs. has... I don't know if it's bad representation or maybe she's very just selective and can afford to be selective about what she picks and chooses to do. But I mean, honestly, like there is no reason this girl should not be all over TV, all over movies, all over music right now, because she can do all of it, do all of it extremely well and just has everything you look for in star quality. I know she doesn't look like the character, but at this point, who the fuck cares, considering what these studios have done with comic book characters? Can, can, can Fox, can we get her on as Dazzler? I don't, I don't care if it's in Legion or the next X-Men movie or the New Mutants or X-Force. Just somewhere in the Fox mutant universe, there needs to be a Dazzler character played by Elizabeth Gillies. That's what I'd like to see, and then give her her own movie. <laughs> just Dazzler the movie. That's what I'd like to see happen. Well, that was the original plan for Dazzler. Oh, really? Was it? They were going to do a Dazzler movie? They were going to do a Dazzler movie and accompanying soundtrack for it to capitalize on this craze called disco. <laughs> and what ultimately, it, it did not happen. Uh, we got a uh, we got now. a. a we got a graphic novel, and I believe it was a two-song uh, EP that came out with, I don't know who was credited the vocals on them, but it's it's a very scarce collector's item if you can find it. Uh, and ultimately, the whole project was scrapped, and she was brought back some years later very differently than what she was portrayed as initially. Okay, well, here, here's my pitch, Fox. You've got a New Mutants movie in development. Write Dazzler in there somewhere and then spin her off into her own solo thing and have Elizabeth Gillies play Dazzler. Hot bananas. You've got a winner on your hands if you do this. You're welcome. All right. Um, The last little bit here that we have to talk about is uh, how we got to that scene and then ultimately how the actual episode ends. So the band's broken up, and they're trying to – Pass things up and bring everybody back together in the in the wake of the Sony fiasco, <laughs> which is also a real life thing, the Sony fiasco. Um, so they got to bring Bam and Rehab back in, and this is a you know, and, and a lot of this is really about not taking them for granted. Uh, and so the really what this comes down to is Bam and Rehab want the rights to the EDM version of What's My Name, which they end up selling for a commercial for use in a commercial, which we then find, which is a setup to a joke at the very end uh, is used in a feminine hygiene product commercial, which of course causes Gigi to lose her uh, independent deal, which is rather amusing. And so we, we end the season with the, not a whole lot of direction, uh, but the band's together and that's kind of it. The, 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 the little string that's sort of left out there to pull on for sex season two 
is the Slash Ava revelation. And that's kind of where we are. Um, overall, I would give the series in season one a B plus. Um, if you're grading on a curve and you're separating out the music, the show itself is a solid B. The music is an A. <laughs> um, so you average those together, you get a B plus. Uh, if you don't have Liz Gillies as Gigi, you, you lose, I think, the heart and soul of this thing because all you've got left is Dennis Leary, and he is standing on her shoulders, I think. Obviously, he, he plays an important role, and you really can't don't have a show without him either, but if you just had him, it's Rescue Me with music videos, and the show would suck. I'll give you the last word. Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll is a lot of what I see a show can use as an example of what worked, what didn't, and ultimately create a better show that will last longer than this did. And don't be surprised if that doesn't happen within three years. A lot of potential is touched on but not realized. Liz Gillies needs to be a major star. And the show itself is really autobiographical of Dennis Leary, intentionally or not, in a lot of ways. Most especially how this was a failed comeback bit for him. And I say that as a diehard Dennis Leary fan. I still listen to No Cure for Cancer every couple months just because I think it's one of those great specials. But the show is ultimately the kid in class who knows the answers, can do it, but doesn't want to do the work, and as a result walks home with a C instead of an A, and is fine with that. I'll be curious to see what he does next. I'll be curious to see if FX even bothers to let him develop a show for them. You know, they had a, you know, a uh, multiple-year winner in Rescue Me, and then this show that died after two seasons. I would be curious to see, especially with what they've got on FX nowadays, on the other hand, FX has expanded into a second channel called uh, FXX, which they ended up moving, um, a show that's been on for many, many years now, another comedy show. Uh, it's always sunny in Philadelphia. So I'll be, I'll be they moved it to F, uh, FXX. Yeah, FXX is designed to be the comedy, the comedy okay. outlet, while FX is the serious outlet. Um, I'll be curious to see if they go back to him and say, what else you got? You know, or even if he's got anything else. Um, You know, we're talking about, uh, you know, Dennis Leary and his career. Looking at his Wikipedia page, good, bad, or indifferent, the man has found work throughout the years. This is not an actor struggling to find parts. So I'll be curious to see what else he comes up with. Um, I think Dennis Leary is a guy who very much will, you know, is someone who will take roles for the business, will take roles to pay the bills, but still has a very creative mind when he's not directly stealing from Bill Hicks or anyone else, uh, allegedly. But I think he still needs a place to create. I think he do, he's somebody with a lot of ideas. Uh, but like many of the people we talk about in pro wrestling, he might also be somebody who needs editing. <laughs> you know, he he might benefit from a partner 
who says, okay, you've got a very good raw idea here. Now let's shape it into something watchable. <laughs> so um, we shall see. Uh, Pat, anything else about this show? No, I think I've said pretty much all we need to say. Although if they did come out with a spinoff of Bam and Rehab as EDC DJs, I would watch every single second of every single minute of that show. Fair enough. All right. Um, as to when we're going to get to season two, the, the way that the schedule has worked out is I, I basically have podcasts planned out uh, between movie reviews and whatnot all the way through um, July. I think in August, yeah, in August the schedule starts to open up a bit. Um, but as I said to somebody who had asked me about doing a show, uh, listen, I've got August available. If I start planning shows now for August, and this was back in January, I'm pretty sure someone's going to Baker Act me. Uh, for those of you who don't live in Florida, that means forcibly admit me to a mental institution. So um, let us say that we'll get to season two somewhere in the third or fourth quarter of this year, but I couldn't tell you when. <laughs> it's not happening anytime soon. Uh, but what is happening soon is Wolverine Week, which I'll talk about in a minute. In the meantime, uh, tomorrow night on the Metal Hammer of Doom, we were going to do Steel Panther, and this was going to be all about sex, drugs, and rock and roll week, but those bastards, <laughs> they dropped a single last Friday and did not drop a full album and will not be dropping a full album for another month comes out March 24th according to iTunes. So that's Mark, you up. could just do you could just do an episode based around the song Fat Girl and I would listen. <laughs> I love Steel Panther. Nothing about them is terrible. Um so we were going to do instead the new 6 Feet Under, but I was bored to shit by the new album, which is called Torment. So instead uh an album that came out on March on uh, February 3rd as picked by Robert Cooper, I basically just said, I don't know what to do. You pick. And he picked Iron Reagan, Crossover Ministry, or uh, uh, known as a crossover thrash band. So we're going to review that. It's a Coop's Pick show. It's I turn the reins over to him and just press buttons like a monkey. Um, Thursday at 9 o'clock, Robert Winfrey and I are going to shake out the cobwebs and get our sillies out on a little show I like to call Because... In this case, Winfrey made me. And we're going to watch and review the movie Inc. Because Winfrey made me at 9 o'clock. Uh, I have no idea what the deal is with this movie. I watched a trailer of it. Just couldn't tell you what it's about without reading the Wikipedia page. Friday, we will be uh, revealing our Rattles and Broadcasting Network announcement of Wolverine Week and subsequent Wolverine discussion. That took place, and that leads into Wolverine Week proper. Uh, on Monday, we've got our source material discussion of Old Man Logan, uh, the return of Damn You Hollywood for the entire month of March. Uh, every Tuesday in the month of March, Damn You Hollywood will be back, myself and Robert Winfrey. We've got Logan on March 7th, Kong Skull Island on March 14th, Beauty and the Beastie 
on March 21st. And finally, uh, our reunion ends on March 28th with Power Rangers. Now, in May through July, we're going to be back to every week again. But uh, April, we're, we're taking yet another hiatus because there ain't shit but the but the fate of the Fury is coming out in the month of April. Um, meanwhile, back to Wolverine week, the Metal Hammer of Doom's contribution to this whole shebang is a little ditty we like to call Entombed, Wolverine Blues, little album that came out in the 90s, I believe. And then finally, yes, Wolverine Week. Finally, Wolverine Week ends with on trial. Myself and Sean Comer will be prosecuting and defending X-Men Origins Wolverine. And uh, despite the fact that I like to defend these movies, I will actually be in the prosecution's chair. So I uh, I get the low hanging fruit on this one. I'm going to attempt to do this without harping on the whole Deadpool thing. I think there's a lot more I can I can scream and yell about. So, oh, there is. Uh, <laughs> I think for the I think for the most part, I found the movie to be boring as fuck. Was the problem more so than what they did to Deadpool? But uh, I'll rewatch. It yeah, or the I fact think. that they try to threaten a character who they establish is indestructible, so there's no actual threat. And yeah. <laughs> all right, fantastic. Um, all right, that that's what I got now in the old plug machine, Pat. Uh, you know how this works. Do your thing, baby. I do. We'll, you'll be longly and sorrowfully awaiting my return to the Rattletion Broadcasting Network for a little special called When in Rome Week, where our initial choice was going to be the Way of the Dragon or Return of the Dragon, depending on which translation you use, starring Bruce Lee. However, the love bug has struck me yet again, and having rediscovered my one true only celebrity love, Hilary Duff, we decided we're going to instead go with the Lizzie McGuire movie, which does, of course, dutifully take place 90% of the time in Rome. So it is a fantastic family-friendly edition, other than some inappropriate high school thoughts I have uh, that I'll probably reminisce <laughs> about fondly and may need a minute or two on the air to walk away from. Other than that, you can hear myself and Mark in our recent uh, Wrestling's Unsolved Mysteries podcast. We discuss the failures of the Ultimate Warrior as WWF champion. We talk about alternative scenarios that would have proven more than likely to be more financially fruitful for both the Warrior and the WWF at the time. We rebook his career from WrestleMania 4 through WrestleMania 8. And we had a lot of fun doing it. We got a lot of positive feedback. If you haven't listened to it, go ahead. If you're any type of wrestling fan or interested in just how the business works, or if you don't have an understanding of how things were at that time, we provide a lot of fact beyond just wild speculation. We use things like attendance numbers, contract issues, and actual in-office communications between Vince and the Warrior to supplement our points that we make. A really fun podcast. We had a lot of fun doing, and we're hoping – to do another one very similar to it in the future and maybe a few others if this one receives positive feedback too other than that i am incredibly lackadaisical when it comes to my podcasting as of recent years so pretty much mark comes up with something and i say hey i'd like to do that and that's how it works but if you enjoy it great (laughs) and if you don't enjoy it kiss my ass well said this has been tv potty tonight uh, as I said, this show is going on a hiatus for the next four weeks because we are back in the movies. Hooray for Hollywood. Uh, the TV parties will resume 
or resume, as you may say, uh, in April with The Crown on uh, April 11th of Andrew uh, – what's his face? Fuck, forgot his last name. <laughs> Andrew Graham. God damn it. Uh, Andrew Graham will be on TV party tonight, as will my wife, if I can keep her awake that long. Um, not my fault, folks. She gets up early to teach, and she ain't like she ain't like me, the night owl. Uh, we got uh, The Crown from uh, Netflix on April 11th. Uh, will be a damn you Hollywood fame, the fate of the furious on April 18th. And then, uh, as Pat was saying during our one in Rome week, Andrew Graham and I will be looking at uh, a TV party tonight. Roman Empire, not Rome, the HBO show, Roman Empire, Reign of Blood, season one on Netflix. Uh, so, and then I think our last TV party for the, until, uh, for the, for the year, uh, as we go into a summer full of damn you Hollywoods, um, we've got, uh, the Powerpuff Girls season one on May 2nd. And then after that, it's all damn you Hollywood all the time. With the occasional show here or there that's going to focus on a uh, TV show, like uh, we're going to try to fit somewhere in here a Flash season three finale and or Black season Black Sale season one when uh, Pirates of the Caribbean comes out. And uh, I know we're doing a TV. The Powerpuff Girls. Uh, that would be Alexis Alexis Pena, who is a friend of Sean's that likes to do some of the animated stuff with us. She was also on board okay, so, all of the... Harry so she Potter. is a female. Correct, sir. You are oh, correct. thank good, thank the good Lord. Um, and yeah, somewhere in here is also a TV party for Iron Fist. But again, way ahead, way ahead of ourselves. So uh, if you have made it this long, thank you. I appreciate you. Appreciate Pat for being on with me tonight for sex, drugs, and rock and roll and uh, tune in tomorrow night at nine o'clock for more music with your mandated reporter, Mr. Mark Rattledge. Until then, be well, be safe and behave. (laughs) 